I'm never gonna get out of this town now, my Gory. You can do anything you want, man. Yeah. Sure. Give me some skin. Not if I see you first. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would a review make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 154, Stand By Me. People still trying to recover from that big bonus episode. Yeah. Epic. I think I'll go on the record right now. Something I tweeted out earlier. It's okay. the greatest thing we've ever recorded. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to it, you need to go back and download Wish Upon a Star Friday Bonus Number One. We finally got there. It's the reason we started this show. <laughs> we wanted to be able to do an episode like that. <laughs> Two hours and forty minutes on an eighty-nine minute TV movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is absurd, but still quality that's what, content. That's what it's all about. I think so. Yeah, hopefully we don't inundate you with all this content. You're not overwhelmed by it, but... Well, I certainly am. Yeah. Busy schedule coming up. For sure. But it's a good thing. We're going to be super busy you all the way through the end of October. Make hay while the sun <laughs> shines. <laughs> yeah. Meaning we're alive. Yeah, right. <laughs> because this podcast will certainly be the death of at least one of us. Absolutely. Probably me. Yeah. If you only knew how much time I've, I'm investing in this... No, it I, is I, absurd. I do know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I edited for a long time. I, I know how much of a grind that is. Yeah. Plus the, all the notes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's just... <laughs> I told you whenever I was doing the last watch of Wish Upon a Star, I was like, yeah, I didn't get to start it until late, you know, like 8 o'clock, so I didn't finish the movie till after midnight. And you're like, what? <laughs> it's an hour and a half. And I was like, well, that's how much I was stopping it to write notes. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> All right. So this is obviously a huge episode for us. We finally hit every single movie that's in our opening intro to the show. Yeah. I was this is the last one. Too. All right. I wasn't sure. I couldn't remember. But yes, that's awesome. But it's also kind of sad. Yeah. There have been times Marks where the end of an era. I've thought, well, should we record a new or put together a new intro thing? And I just can't bring myself to do it. It could happen, though. Someday. We'll see. I like ours too much. Yeah, I like it too. <laughs> we just kind of stumbled upon it too it was like all right well let's take this and then this and then this and then this and then that should be good and then it just was perfect i thought yeah i think so too i think both of us feel like stand by me is a big movie it's one of our heavy hitters that we've been waiting to get to it is and i think i mentioned last episode that i, I would reveal something about this movie and it, the end of this movie which i'm sure we'll get into in 
speak to at length, but it really is my reference for just the saddest moment of anything. <laughs> uh, nothing gets my like emotional sad bone like the end sequence of this movie with Richard Dreyfuss's narration with uh, talking about the Chris character. I think it kind of works on a, a meta level too a little bit, like just the whole thing with like River Phoenix. Oh yeah, for sure. You know? I was definitely thinking that as well. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just like at times of my life when I, I just feel like I have a hard time feeling emotion about anything, <laughs> I can just like pop on the end of Stand By Me and you know, it's like, all right, I am a human being still. It's kind of, You know, in that Seinfeld episode where uh, they're like, hell of a thing when Spock died and they get like choked up about it, even though yeah. they like didn't react to George's wife dying. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of like how I feel about the end of Stand By Me. I would say that I was hit harder emotionally this most recent time than I think I probably ever have been. Oh, yeah. Well, I should bring up, too. I I never watched this movie growing up. I mean, this is, like, within the past certainly 10 years of my life that I really came into, like, being a Stand By Me fan. I mean, it's definitely been more than 10 years for me, but it's one of those movies, again, where I can't actually remember the first time that I saw it. It probably was, like, a TV version on like AMC or yeah. something. Yeah, I, I probably had seen parts of it back then growing up too, but yeah, certainly never saw it all the way through until, I don't know when it was, sometime in my 20s, but certainly stuck with me. This is the type of material that I, I just love, young, coming of age, facing some of the horrors of the world, <laughs> a little adventure. Okay, so before we jump into this 1986 classic, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter. I say that every episode. Seems like way more people listen to the show than follow it on Twitter. I don't know. Well, who knows? That's okay. And also, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podbean, whatever you have. I think Podbean has an app. I don't I doubt okay. that many people have it. Oh, yeah. But you know, whatever. Check us out on all those things. While we're doing just regular status of the show, talk about just general show stuff controversial take the other day talking to shane he's been working his way through the episodes and i was like yeah man you know it gets better just hold on and and he uh said that the first year of the podcast is his favorite oh wow yeah so i mean we we had some big episodes back then so sure (laughs) yeah i mean i guess probably for some people it's just the subjects are more important than anything else well that's true and we hit some big ones early on like bug juice and halloween 3 (laughs) it's always good to get engagement from the listeners sure yeah i enjoy anybody listening to any of the episodes that's for sure yeah at the end of the wish upon a star friday bonus episode we were giving out some clues about this next one i mentioned we generally don't do two movies by the same director this close together but we needed to get to this movie, Stand By Me, directed by Rob Reiner, who also directed The Princess Bride. Oh, true. Yes. Because this is such a Labor Day movie. Absolutely. The kids basically go out on this thing over Labor Day weekend. Right. Getting back the Sunday before Labor Day, actually. And it's set at a time, too, where I think it was very traditional for school yes. to start the day after Labor Day. Right. Now, Which it we're starts probably used earlier. to from most of our lives, right? I don't know. I remember it starting in August before Labor Day. That's true. I guess, yeah, there was always that move where it's like you'd start school for a week and then have like a three-day weekend right away. Yeah. Stand By Me is directed by Rob Reiner, screenplay by Bruce A. Evans and Reynold Gideon, based on Stephen King's 1982 novella, The Body, which is a part of 
a collection of novellas called Different Seasons, one of King's best works, in my opinion. Oh, wow. Three of the four novellas were made into films. The first story in there being Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, ah. which became the Shawshank Redemption. The next one being Apt Pupil, which became Apt Pupil. Okay. The next one being The Body, which became Stand By Me, which was the first of the four to be made. And then the fourth one's called The Breathing Method. I don't really think you could turn that into anything. It's it's not really like a typical story. But this a little bit of a repeated type trope for King a little bit. The the idea of like four kids in particular. What was that movie? The Dreamcatcher? Oh, right. Yeah. That kind of has like a similar thing where it's like four kids who grew up together, but then we ex- experience them in, as adults. Yes. But I don't know. There's something about this. It, I mean, obviously there's more kids in it, but it feels like a little bit similar thematically there. Yeah. And this predates it, the the novel. This sure. The body was actually the first of the four that he wrote. So in the afterword of the book, he talks about how when he would write a novel, he would still have like a lot of juice left in him to work and create so he would complete a novel and then immediately continue into these novellas and he wrote the body after completing salem's lot which was a novel that was published in the late 70s oh wow so this is a story that had been around for a while it's incredible to think about how much just content he's put yeah it's just non-stop right he, he's always treated writing like a nine-to-five job you know which a lot of writers don't and that <laughs> yeah. there's pros and cons to that not everything he's ever released is great but his batting average for is pretty high i know well it is content crazy like it's like you, yeah it's just like all this stuff we always talk about and then he also has like this giant dark tower series too yeah which seemed like really long books and a huge series and mm-hmm. it's like that's stuff that like you and I never even talk about when we talk about like his oeuvre. Right. Thank you. <laughs> I don't even know if that's the right word. <laughs> I'm good with it. Obviously, like so many of King's books and stories and everything, the original takes place in Maine. However, the right. film is moved to Oregon and it was filmed in Oregon, which adds an interesting dynamic to the visual aspect of the movie. Sure. I love I, having those mountains in the I, background. I, I and do stuff. too. It's it's nice for this whole trek that they're on plus we get to see everyone's drinking rainier beers which is like the pbr of the pacific northwest Mm -hmm. yeah the iconic film poster that silhouette of like the four running with the mountains in the background that really wouldn't make any sense in maine but doing that for the movie doesn't really it's a change that doesn't really affect anything negatively from the story yet add something yeah, to the movie. It fits I mean the only thing obviously that it sort of detracts from is the uh kind of the idea of like the shared universe of King's books right. and everything. Because the kids are from a town called Castle Rock, which became the Hulu original show Castle Rock, which right. is based on the fictional town in Maine, which a lot of his other stories connect to. And the character of Ace Merrill, played by Kiefer Sutherland, is a character that recurs in needful things and you know things like oh, that okay. like there's all these little that. connections that yeah. happen and i think teddy duchamp is mentioned in the novel carrie oh wow or something even though he wrote carrie before he i think he just took that name and applied it to gotcha you know what i mean so there's all these like little connections right. to things but as far as just a standalone movie I mean, ace definitely has a, a bit of a, a henry bowers type vibe to him as well yeah for sure I mean, Ace has never really developed as much as Henry Bowers is in, in the book It, but yeah, that kind of greaser just a, bully. 
Well, yeah, who seemingly is willing to kill kids, which is kind of <laughs> crazy. Yeah, I read different seasons a while ago. I don't particularly remember everything about it. I do know that it's pretty close to the movie. I think we'll talk about the novella a little bit as we go along. Okay. But they filmed this in Brownsville, Oregon, because it had a real 50s ambiance to the oh, town. Oh, absolutely. I love this town. Yeah. What was it? Like the Blue Star Diner or something? I don't know. The Blue Something Diner. I was like, man, yeah. that's a place I want to go to. <laughs> well, yeah, when they're behind it and Gordy accidentally fires the gun. Oh, yeah. Before the woman runs out of there, you're like, oh, this place has been out of business for like <laughs> decades. Right. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, no, this is like a functioning place. <laughs> <laughs> Originally, this was a script that was brought to the director, Adrian Lin, or Lyne. I can't, I'm never sure how to pronounce that. He's okay. somebody that I couldn't really imagine directing this because he's known for like sexy movies like Nine and a Half Weeks. Wow, yeah. Unfaithful with Diane Lane and things like that. <laughs> Sex movies. movies. That we would be interested in. Yeah. This doesn't really seem like his thing. But he ended up not wanting to do it just because he had promised himself a vacation after finishing Nine and a Half Weeks. So it goes around all these different people. It ends up at Embassy Pictures which is then sold to Columbia. Columbia immediately cancels production, which is so often the case when studios get sold to each other. For example, Disney canceling a bunch of Fox projects that yes. were in the works. It's weird because this movie has some certainly dark content to it. And I, I don't know, somehow it all works well for me because it does have the Rob Reiner. There's almost sort of like a blandness to like the look of his movies, I feel like. And... I kind of associate him with directing more cheery material. Mm -hmm. And I still feel like that is evident here, but it, it kind of all blends together nicely. So eventually it gets brought to Reiner, who at that point had done This is Spinal Tap and The Sure Thing, but he was still fairly new to, to directing. They didn't know if they were going to have the money to make it. And then Norman Lear, who's famous from doing television shows, producer, writer, who did All in the Family and all that stuff, he gives them $7.5 of his own money to finish it wow. because he was a major player in Embassy. And then I guess he felt bad when Embassy got sold. bunch of different studios pass on it, though, once it's made. Oh, boy. And they're like, yeah, we don't really want to distribute this, whatever. It ends up back at Columbia, <laughs> okay, <yeah. laughs> who had canceled it originally. They put it out. I think the budget was only like $8 million or something like that. Gotcha. Ends up making pretty nice profit. I think it was over 50 million at the u.s box office that is a good day and has gone on to become this pivotal coming of age movie that is definitely considered a modern day classic it's one of the better films of the 80s for sure and i, w I would almost compare it to something like the breakfast club from that era which on the surface level you would think okay well this is dated i mean how sure. much appeal yeah. could this have but i think you introduced these stories to new generations over and over and it's just immediately relatable even though the movie's set in 1959 oh, yeah. kids in 2019 are gonna get it i mean Absolutely. it's not impossible to understand this movie right i definitely think it's rob reiner's best movie it's his favorite of his films oh good we're aligned on that then <laughs> it was a huge casting process 300 auditions reiner then personally interviewed 70 of the kids this was just for the four main okay characters once they settled on the four, he took them aside and gave them like two weeks of just hanging out, playing all these different like improv games and all this different acting 
workshop stuff to just build camaraderie and real life friendship, which ended up paying off for the movie because they were able to nail a lot of the stuff on one take. Oh yeah. Cause the kids were just so used to each other and used to how to act with each other and interact that there wasn't a lot of awkwardness or getting to know you time or anything. It just was straight on. And yeah. I think, you know, the four kids are pretty much considered pros. I mean, they all went on to act. Was this the this. first Corey Feldman appearance? No, I didn't think so. No. So Feldman had been around for a while River Phoenix had been in stuff, and I think Will Wheaton had even been in stuff. It was the first Jerry O'Connell movie. I yeah, think. yeah. Found Jerry O'Connell, just like the chubby kid. Yeah, he found knew? his way in the world. Yeah, he would marry Rebecca Romaine at some point. Good for him. <laughs> Columbia found the title misleading, which makes sense. You hear some, something <laughs> so called the body, and you're like, "Well, this could either be like a sex movie or a horror movie because it's Stephen King or yeah. whatever." A detective movie. So they batted around a bunch of different ideas. I, I couldn't really find any of the potential titles that didn't get chosen, but Reiner chose Stand By Me. It was pretty much just picked because it was the least hated of okay. the titles. It's good enough. When they screened it for Stephen King, he was visibly shaken wow. and emotional and had to like leave. And he said that it was the first time any of his work had been adapted that successfully. I love it. And to that point, it was his favorite of his adapted material has that sense changed i don't know but there were some heavy hitters before this i mean granted there's been a million adaptations since his stance on the shining right there was the shining and there was carrie both of which are considered classics yeah other than that i don't know what the biggest competition would be by 86 right i don't know what do you think his thoughts are on the new pet cemetery He's definitely chilled a lot, so he always tweets positive things oh, does about he? all these yeah. movies. But I I'm mean, sure he's like, this is trash. Although he may have been silent on that Dark Tower right. disaster that yeah, came yeah. out like last I year. I forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, I think he's he's definitely said that he likes both chapters of the new It. Oh, good. Because he's seen part two yeah. already. Yeah, it seems crazy when you think that he didn't like The Shining. I know. <laughs> it seemed like whatever was going on with The Shining was just like... I don't know. It's almost like personal or something because it just doesn't make sense. After I know. This it's much like time. It's, it just seems like such an undeniably great, incredible movie. Yeah, I don't know. But even in the foreword to Doctor Sleep, he was still talking about how he didn't like it. Oh wow! <laughs> so that's only like a couple years ago. All right. We talked about the timeless quality of this movie. I think that it is an undeniable idea, which is just growing up and growing apart. It's a oh, theme yeah. that King has explored time and time again. And even. I don't know what grade they're supposed to be getting it going into in this. I think six. Six, yeah. I mean, man, you know, it doesn't really feel like all that different from the way I felt when I was that age. Yeah. Just hanging out with my friends, like going out into the woods, you know, doing aimless shit. The sphere of influence of this movie is pretty immeasurable, really. From everything to copycats or, or reimaginings of this idea to how even the way that characters talk in quentin tarantino movies there's a lot of just random <laughs> the pop culture discussion yeah, in this for sure which is not something that is super common especially in 86 because yeah you only have an hour and a half to two hours to tell a story in a movie you don't necessarily want your characters talking about things that don't advance the plot i do feel like there's just some yeah great turn of phrases in this movie obviously we have the one in our intro you know the suck my fat one you cheap dime store hood but i just feel like the way that they string certain phrases together and everything it, it jumps out to you is it's certainly not 
necessarily dialect that you're used to hearing. Yeah, there's a lot of humor in this movie. Some of it probably wouldn't stand up to the 2019 scrutiny. There's definitely a, f- a few words thrown in there that aren't popular today. But I do lo- like even just like their fighting words that they're kind of like thrown back and forth between them and Ace's gang. Yeah. We talked into the night. The kind of talk that seemed important until you discover girls. All right, all right. Mickey's a mouse, Donald's a duck, Pluto's a dog. What's Goofy? If I can only have one food for the rest of my life, that's easy. Pass. Cherry flavor pass. No question about it. Goofy's a dog. He's definitely a dog. I knew the $64,000 question was fixed. There's no way anybody can know that much about opera. He can't be a dog. He wears a hat and drives a car. Wagon Train's a really cool show, but did you ever notice that they never get anywhere? Just keep wagon training. God, that's weird. What the hell is Goofy? Not one of us mentioned Ray Brower. But we were all thinking about him. So the four kids are Gordy Lachance, played by Will Wheaton, Chris Chambers, played by River Phoenix, Teddy Duchamp, played by Corey Feldman, and Vern Tessio, played by Jerry O'Connell. I think it's always like a mind-blowing thing when you first learn who the four kids are and like what they went on to do. Yeah, that's true. Because I definitely saw this movie at least once or twice before I even knew that Vern was Jerry O'Connell and like <laughs> right. was comparing to who that was in modern day yeah. or whatever. And I think I always recognized Feldman because he was so sure. yeah. How prolific could you not? in the 80s. Right, exactly. He's just in so many things. Yeah. What's the vampire one with Keeper Sutherland? Lost Boys? Lost Boys and Goonies and all oh, that yeah. stuff were around the same time. It's hard to believe that this is like a couple years after the Goonies. Right. The nice thing about Corey Feldman was you could always just be like, Let's just make him, like, the third dude in this movie, and all of a sudden it feels like we've got a bigger cast. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a rough go for Feldman since the 90s began. (laughs) It has. The movie opens with the adult version of Gordy, played by Richard Dreyfuss. I don't like that they put this in the beginning of the movie. Oh, you don't? I I wish that... I I always think it's so relatable, though, that he's just pulled into, like, a field and he's just sitting there staring off. Oh, well, I love (laughs) that. Like, that's basically me. I know, but I just wish they didn't reveal the Chris thing in the newspaper. What does he say in the beginning? Because I I wasn't even sure. What is the reveal in the beginning? I... The newspaper is sitting there in his truck and, like, the... Or in his car. Okay, so it's just a visual. Yeah, and it says, like, Chris Chambers, like killed in a fast food restaurant or something (laughs) (laughs) local lawyer (laughs) stabbed in throat yeah yeah i guess i mean i think that it works because you could you kind of like you don't know the character yet yeah and and you've i think you can forget about this like pretty quickly right yeah especially like first viewing you're not gonna yeah really even like i I think it all together i I showed it to Lindsay like a couple months ago and she had never seen the movie and i i think this just went right past her like when we got to the end it was like a gut punch for her yeah, it makes sense though because that's what spurred on this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. In the first place, right? It was like the defining moment that made him realize that this was the story that he needed to tell next. Because he's a a writer now, grown up, which obviously is brought up during his yes childhood here with these other kids. And there's even a part where there's some stuff I want to talk about there. <laughs> Chris is like, 
oh, maybe one day when you're hard up for material, right. you'll write about us guys or whatever. Have to be pretty hard up. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the, the melodramatic interactions between the two of them. I mean, they're all pretty yeah. melodramatic. Absolutely. <laughs> so as he's sitting there, it, it fades back to 1959, and the duration of the film, for the most part, will take place as a flashback to these days. Now, I will say, you know, not necessarily as like a criticism, but it, w- <laughs> it was pretty common in the 80s to flash back to the 50s. They, right. There's a lot of nostalgia for the 50s going on during the 1980s yeah. for whatever reason. That was It was a peaceful th- time before Similarly, how yeah. in the 90s there's a lot of nostalgia for the 60s. It always is that 30-year right. oh, yeah. yes. gap. And you would think that there'd be a lot for like the 80s over the last few years, but I feel like it just kind of at some point skipped past the 70s. And has always been the 80s nostalgia. Even like 20 years ago, people were obsessed with the 80s. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know why. The 70s just got like the short end of the stick in yeah. a way. Because deaf people definitely romanticized the 50s, then the 60s, and then it just seemed to skip to the 80s. And we've basically been romanticizing the 80s for like ever since they ended, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the 80s did take some heat during the 90s, though. It takes some heat, but there's always been that. Yeah, I mean, maybe it, it started out though. as like kitsch factor, right. but True. It's, it's it's turned into legitimate nostalgia at some point. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I think it'll be harder. I do think there's a little bit of '90s nostalgia. I definitely personally feel it, even though like yeah, I do think negatively about it a lot though too. <laughs> you know, sure. Well, that's the thing. The same thing with how there was negative stuff about the '80s, right. but it'll be harder though to romanticize the '90s because I think at a certain point culture just homogenized so much that there aren't as many defining things i agree it's hard to feel like things would take the forefront of the culture like right now yeah i can't ever really see people romanticizing the 2000s and the 2010s it's just hard to even know what they would be defined by Uh, exactly i I mean everything just seems very samey right well (laughs) part of it I, i feel like is just how much fucking in the entertainment world how much just content is out there yeah. I mean, it's hard to even imagine people like aligning on the same page and being like, we're all going to be into this. Yeah. In fact, it mostly seems like everyone is just aligning on being against everything. <laughs> yeah. So the kids pal around together. Pretty normal group of guys, I guess. Except for Teddy, who seems a little Whose crazy. ear is burnt off. Yeah. They hang out in this treehouse. You know, this was my first time watching this movie since... Our recording of the Sandlot episode. Sure. I did find myself a lot now just paying attention to, like, man, the Sandlot ripped this movie off a lot. Yeah, I you mean, got, I definitely you think got that it, in my head. It borrowed a little bit. For, I don't even know if that was my whole point, was that it was ripping it off. It was just that Stand By Me feels like a real movie. It does. And the Sandlot, by comparison, feels very phony in a I lot agree. of ways. Yeah. But there, there was joy in the sandlot that we found sure <laughs> i just don't think they're really that comparable in terms of quality of film though oh, i agree with that but yeah they're in this treehouse i think it's smart that almost immediately though to keep this movie reasonable brief but also powerful is to just launch right into it through the narration we pretty much learn a lot about gordy's three friends in addition to gordy himself all of them to a certain extent Except for maybe Vern, who's probably the least developed of the four, we learn about... He's just like the dolt character. Yeah, and in, in its own way, that maybe fits into this too, but 
they all have their own version of doomed fate that hangs over them in its own way. Oh, sure. They definitely don't have great family backgrounds. Sure. Chris comes from a bad family. His brother's name is Eyeball. Destined to be (laughs) a bad seed. And it seems like he's forever trying to outrun his reputation and his family's reputation. Teddy comes from a background of just straight-up abuse and insanity. Yes. Which, obviously, was much more common in 1959 than it would be now. Nowadays, I mean... His dad's supposed to be like a war vet or something. Yeah, but it seems like he's insane. Yeah, it did not go well (laughs) post-war. So he's this tragic figure who at once lives in fear of, but also idolizes his abuser. Yeah. And then, of course, Gordy, who's now dealing with just straight-up parental neglect. Yeah. Following the death of his older brother, Danny. Definitely some scenes in this movie where I'm like, man, Gordy's parents feel so relatable. Just like people kind of walking through life, not feeling anything. <laughs> it seems like it had to be hard enough for Gordy when Denny was alive. Because yeah. he was just like literally the perfect human. I think eventually I have a note somewhere in here about that. Yeah. <laughs> like almost exactly what you just said. Right. Like was it actually even ever better? <laughs> so the three of them are hanging out and then Vern shows up. He's like this lovable loser. He almost seems, like, younger than the other ones. Like, he's a tag-along or something. He doesn't remember the secret knock to get into the treehouse. He's goofed on by the other three. When oh, yeah. He's trying to get out that big news. And right. they're just launching into that song over and over. I was thinking to myself, I don't remember, like, being with my group of friends in, like, fifth grade and us singing as much as this group of friends does, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's almost like they're training to be a quartet. There was less forms of entertainment. I got it. The radio right. was a big deal. Hey, how do you know a Frenchman's been in your backyard? I am French, okay? Your garbage cans are empty and your dog's pregnant. <laughs> Didn't I just say I was French? I knock. 29. 22. Piss up a rope. <laughs> Gordy's out. Oh, Gordy just bit the bag and stepped out the door. Come on, man, deal. Teddy Duchamp was the craziest guy we hung around with. He didn't have much of a chance in life. His dad was given to fits of rage. One time he held Teddy's ear to a stove and almost burned it off. I knock. Before I pile of shit, a pile of shit has a thousand eyes. (laughs) What? What's so funny? Come on, I got 30. What have you got? 16. <laughs> Go ahead. Keep laughing. You're down to your ride, pal. Chris Chambers was the leader of our gang and my best friend. He came from a bad family, and everyone just knew he'd turn out bad, including Chris. It's not the secret knock. I forget the secret knock. Let me in. Run. Come on, you guys, open up. Oh, man, you guys are not going to believe this. This is so boss. Oh, man. Wait to hear this. Wait to hear this. You won't believe it. It's unbelievable. Let me catch my breath. I ran all the way from my house. I ran all the way home. Come on, you guys listen to me. This is boss. Come on. Okay, forget it. I don't have to tell you nothing. Hold on, you guys. Hold on. What is it, man? Okay, great. You won't believe this. Sincerely. I ran all the way home. Screw you guys. Forget it. What is it? Can you guys camp out tonight? I mean, if you tell your folks we're going to tent out my backfield? Yeah, I think so. Except my dad's kind of on a mean streak. You know, he's been drinking a lot lately. 
You've got to, man. Sincerely, you won't believe this. Can you, Gordy? Yeah, probably. So what are you pissing and moaning about, Verno? I knock. What? You liar. You ain't got no pad hand. You didn't deal with yourself no pad hand. Make your draw, shitty. <laughs> you guys want to go see a dead body? So Vern breaks the news. Do you guys want to go see a dead body? Which... I don't really know where this comes from. I guess, you know, just one of those things that writers come up with and it just works. But on the surface, your initial reaction might be like, this is insane. Yeah. Like, why would you ever think this is a good idea? This sounds horrible. Why would you want to do this? But at the same time, it's the perfect mechanism to get them to go on this journey. And it fits in with Gordy dealing with death. and Right. I think it's got to be part of it that all four of them have these sort of darker backgrounds with their families that they're all just like willing to go along with this you yeah. feel like there's a kid who like has a happy life with his parents and is like i don't really want to go see a dead body mm-hmm. that seems horrifying right yeah there's definitely a certain roughness to the four kids that probably partially comes from the era in which this is set i think kids were just generally tougher and more adult probably in 1959 than they sure. are now yeah firing a gun and then also because of what you just mentioned, which would be the domestic turbulence that they're all living with on yes. a daily basis. So Vern was underneath the porch trying to find these fucking pennies that he buried Ugh. under there and then couldn't remember where they were. Yeah, there was like mice and like snakes under there. <laughs> this is just a regular habit for him that summer, I guess, is to continually be digging under his parents' front <laughs> yeah, porch. When it's eventually revealed that this is how he figured this out to his brother... It only takes his brother, like, two seconds to put it together. <laughs> like, yeah. He was under the porch. <laughs> so he overhears his older brother, Billy, and his friend, I think it's, like, Charlie or something. It doesn't really matter. What do you think's going on with Billy and Charlie or whatever his name is? I mean, I, were you getting a little <laughs> you bit of a... think they're a couple? Yeah, I think out <laughs> boosting that car together. I don't know. Just BFing in the woods. Right. I mean, they <laughs> seemed a little too suspect about not wanting to be involved in this. <laughs> They didn't want questions about this car being stolen, but I'm like, I don't know. I feel like there's something a little more to it. Yeah, I could see that. They're overheard by Vern talking about finding the dead body of Ray Brower. Ray Brower lived in a neighboring town and went missing, I guess, only three days prior, which you'd think it maybe you'd want to make that a little bit longer, but whatever. Well, so three days prior, he goes missing. They had to do it in a way that the body just wasn't going to be like so decomposed. Yeah. So Brower went out what picking strawberries or something i don't even remember what they said he was doing oh boy wasn't it something like that he was like out in the woods doing something how lame (laughs) somehow he ends up getting hit by a train which how horrible is this kid (laughs) out picking strawberries and you just get hit by a train (laughs) what a complete failure (laughs) yeah yeah i mean do you think his parents were even that broken up about it they're like well we know this is gonna happen yeah seriously how the fuck do you get hit by a train (laughs) I know, even as like a kid, I was always like, wouldn't you be able to get out of the way? I don't understand how you get hit by a train. Yeah, well, it's They're not the so first... They're so big and loud. <laughs> you know, there's another close call in this movie, so... Well, yeah, but... I know. It's not like Ray Brower's close a to bridge. the bridge or right. anything. He's just in the woods. But anyway, they referenced it being on Back Hollow Road, which is a place that Teddy will end up being somewhat familiar with. Somehow, even though it really doesn't look like a road. Yeah. Who knows? His dad's taking him to all sorts of weird places. <laughs> After the four of them talk about it, and they they launch this plan to go walk to find the body, 
which just seems crazy, especially when they talk later about what that actual distance might be. Yeah. It just never at any point in my life would have occurred to me that I could walk 20 miles. To like another town? Yeah. I mean, I did walk a little bit when I was a kid. I mean, I did walk to like the mall and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I would like ride my bike like pretty far with my friends like yeah. around town and stuff. But even with that, we didn't go to like neighboring towns. Yeah. After they decide that they're going to go see him, we get this whole little side story here with Gordy going back home to get his canteen. He talks about how he's been the invisible boy at home for the last four months because back in Let's April... Like eat something, Gordy. Back in April, Gordy's older brother, Dennis, had been killed in a Jeep accident. His older brother in the flashbacks is played by John Cusack, Yeah, oddly enough. How about that? This would have probably been a pretty early role for him. I would think. We're not quite to say anything yet. Gordy's parents, especially ever since this accident, are just a total nightmare. They're just... I mean, his dad in particular is just like, Gordy, you are the worst. He's like, why can't you get some decent friends like your brother? Yeah. Or something like that. And he's like, my friends aren't that bad. And Gordy's dad calls him a thief and two feebs. Well, his dad is basically <laughs> like the dad from... James Vanderbeek's dad in Varsity Blues. If you don't play football, you yeah, might as well you are kill worthless. yourself. So the four of them set out at noon. Is it the same day, I guess? Yeah. So all of that treehouse material was like in the morning. Right. <laughs> they set out at noon, I guess on They have to leave Saturday? on Friday, right? No, I think it's Saturday. Because I thought they got back Sunday morning at like 5 a.m. or something. Like they walked through the night. But they stay one night. Yeah, maybe it's Friday. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they get back on Monday. I don't know. All right. They set out at noon. I think, yeah, you're probably right. It probably was Friday. Well, that's the the other thing to keep in mind here, which we're so far removed from. Summer vacation. Yeah. Hell of a thing. Well, his parents are at home, though, when That's he true. leaves. That's true. That's a I good point. Weird. Yeah. They just don't work anymore. Yeah. After Denny, it's just like... <laughs> What's the point? Right. <laughs> All we do is laundry. Hang it, <laughs> hang it out to dry. Yeah, I don't know. You would think that I would be more familiar at this point with what Stephen King's childhood was like and what happened to him, but I don't really know... He certainly seems fascinated with the idea of losing a sibling and that changing the family. Yes. Because that's also similar to it. True. And the parents of Stuttering Bill have kind of mentally checked out after Georgie's death. That's and right. And the same thing happening here. Yeah. I don't know if that's something that happened to him or someone he knew or something. I don't know. I don't know. He definitely seemed to be exposed to these types of worlds. <laughs> Chris swipes his father's forty-five, as we mentioned Gordy ends up firing it behind a diner shortly thereafter they have a run-in with... accidentally really because he doesn't think it's loaded yeah shortly thereafter they have a run-in with the local thug ace merrill played by Kiefer sutherland and chris's brother who goes by eyeball who's just kind of fine with i mean i get that it's like a family of hoodlums but i mean should eyeball really be like this okay with the terror <laughs> that they're inflicting on his little brother i mean i think it's because everyone's Afraid of Ace. Yeah, he's just running the show, and you can't question what he does. I do think that they they really take this bully shit to, like, a whole other level. I mean, isn't it just sort of... I mean, they know Denny is dead. Yeah. And Gordy's like, my brother gave me that hat. And it's just like, big deal. We don't care. I mean, that's pretty... Yeah, well, I think the, the truth of it is that the reason why you never see the hat again and it isn't recovered later in the movie is that they decided that Ace doesn't care about the hat he's just that much of a dick and that they just threw it away oh man 
Yeah, that's. It is a weird thing that the it's, backstory there that it's not brought back into the movie because I I always think that they're gonna point the gun at the end and like make him give the hat back or something and it's just never. Yeah, he doesn't have it. Right. After they get out of that ordeal, the journey itself begins. After Ace is like, I'm gonna burn your brother with a lit cigarette. <laughs> I do think that part of it is that they don't really think he's he would do this kind right, of stuff. Right. And then, as is also some somewhat recurring with Stephen King bullies, it always comes to a head at some moment where even the bully's friends are kind of scared. <laughs> yeah, this what, is what this is escalating much. towards. Right. So they're gonna follow the train tracks for approximately twenty miles. At one point, they're like maybe even thirty, and I was like. I don't think as a kid could even walk that far. Well, I don't without... think I would have had any grasp of how long I thought it was going to take. That's it. That's what you I mean. What like I, mean? I, I don't even think enough time goes by for them to do this. Yeah, especially at crazy. some of the pace that it seems like they're walking at various points. Well, but yeah, whatever. and they're like stopping and doing other shit. <laughs> yeah, they spend a long time at the junkyard and all that stuff. Of course, being inexperienced at doing anything, they forget to bring food. They pull their money together, and it's only two dollars and thirty-seven cents. I think Which it's pretty like funny that Vern like only has seven cents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty early on, Teddy's mental illness is on display when he's trying to do that train dodge thing, and oh you're like, boy, "Well, yeah. maybe this is how Ray Brower bit it." <laughs> That's <laughs> because, true. Well, yeah, it kids had to seem be like idiotic, right? <laughs> that and seems... is this is this like the fight between Teddy and Chris? What do you mean? I don't know. They're kind of like shoving each other a little bit over this, aren't they? Yeah. At the end of the movie, when Teddy's like, hey, Chambers, no hard feelings, right? Which part is he referencing? I think I always thought it was this part. Yeah. Because Teddy ends up super pissed about it. Yeah. But yeah, right. I mean, it isn't really like brought up and carried throughout, but right. that's the only thing I, I know. ever what, okay. thought about. Yep. They stop at this junkyard to fill their canteens with water. The junkyard has this reputation it's guarded by a guy named milo and his dog chopper and chopper oh, yeah. has this almost urban legend type again the story sandlot. To him. <laughs> i was like oh boy here we go yeah it is similar to the sandlot except this dog is actually like a golden retriever or something right. it <laughs> or like a yellow lab maybe i don't know i think it looked like a mutt i mean does small. the does the guy who owns this junkyard seem like way too invested in <laughs> this standoff that he gets involved in with these kids yeah he does but i mean he's a guy who lives on a junkyard there's not much going on i mean that's his whole life i guess right but yeah at first i mean we don't see milo or the dog at first and they have this whole story about how the dog has been trained to sick certain body parts and sick balls is like a a nightmare of anyone that may potentially be thinking about trespassing onto the junkyard itself well yeah I just find it odd, though, that they spend so much time just hanging out in the dump. Like, when they first get there, they all just post up. We're just like, all right, well, we're just going to sit here with it's our like filled canteens. El Dorado, look at all this junk. You would think, all right, they want to sneak on to use the well, just like fresh drinking water, fill up their canteen, whatever. Okay. And then if they want to rest, why wouldn't you just get out of there? I agree. I, I guess it's just like this is the most interesting place they've been to. I don't know. Well, it's I mean, I guess that they, they're going to stop and drink, and then they're going to fill up again before they leave, but I don't know. Yeah. Who's to say? Gordy goes to get food with the money, and even when he's at this random store that's like seemingly out in the middle of nowhere, he can't escape living in Denny's shadow. Oh, he yeah. He follows him everywhere. The guy at the store is like just pestering him with questions about Denny and whether or not 
Gordy plays football too, and all this stuff, and how it, I think a big part Gordy of the just movie, pulls out a coin to this gas station attendant and is like, call it. It's like straight out of No Country for Old I Men. I just think like a big part of this is how Gordy's personal feelings about his brother's death and his personal relationship with his brother is always juxtaposed with how other people see his brother, including his own parents, who of course have their own legitimate pain, but it's just it's different from what Gordy is experiencing and he just has this hard time reconciling this because this guy so clearly is invested in this because Denny was good at football. Do you understand what I'm saying though? I mean, I do. Yeah. This guy is just like, Denny is just this anonymous stat line. Right. Of football stats. Yeah. yeah. And just the constant having to live with that, that Gordy, because Gordy's relationship with his brother is actually very sweet and genuine, almost like ridiculously. So to the point where you're like, yeah, Denny doesn't feel like a real person. Denny's hugging him. <laughs> on a, I don't know. You're just like, it just seemed weird. <laughs> Gordy's like, I wrote a short story today. And his dad's like, shut up. And Denny's like, no, it's actually cool, dad. Yeah. And that's the flashback that prompts me to wonder, was life actually better with his parents when Denny was alive? I wasn't getting the feeling that it was. It seemed like the relationship with his parents still wasn't great. I mean, maybe his parents were a little more engaged in life in general back then, but they didn't really seem to have any time or patience for Gordy. Nonsense. Gordy returns to the junkyard to find the place previously occupied by his friends now empty, and when he's looking around, he simultaneously spots them climbing over a fence to leave while he is also noticed by Milo, who has now returned. Milo sticks chopper on him, and the way they do this is pretty great because you don't even see the dog Oh, at true. first That's you just right. you you sense the dogs chasing him gordy's taking off towards the fence you hear the dog barking you hear milo yelling and then gordy runs to the fence and is climbing over it and then you see that the dog is not particularly vicious looking i was thinking the same thing i'm like you know i'm not that scared of it i think it is a, a joke i mean you're supposed to be like okay yeah the dog is not intimidating at all but at the same time i don't know i mean do you want this dog to bite you though Oh, that's true. It's a good point. It's definitely I trying did, I to not. bite through the fence. That's right. Milo comes over. This confrontation is playing out between him and the four kids. And he's just like giving Teddy a bunch of shit over Teddy's loony father, which is like. That's what I mean. Definitely I, an I, Achilles heel for Teddy. Yeah, but it, well, sure. It sets Teddy over the edge. But I'm like, is this junkyard owner a little over invested in this? I mean, this feels like overkill to be like, your dad's a crazy piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's just pissed. and I mean, it's like these are kids. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly an overreaction. It definitely makes you wonder, though, not just this scene, but everything throughout the movie, if the version of Teddy's crazy father that we're hearing via Teddy and via just the other characters is not exactly true. In other words, is he really some war hero guy that was in storming the beaches of normandy is that even real yeah i, I don't know or is he just I, some sort of a i'm getting the vibe crazy guy i feel like like he may have been in the military but i mean did he really do anything at if all? you went to a, a castle rock tavern and it's like teddy's dad chris's dad and this junkyard owner you'd like walk right out of there you'd be like i, I don't think this is a place where we want to get a beer honey <laughs> <laughs> well yeah but I don't know. I just think that there might be a, a slight implication underneath everything that the truth about Teddy's father is even sadder than we think. I, I mean, think it's that's bad enough that he's true. like this abusive monster, but 
even his like past glory might not even be real. I think that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah, there's no confirmation either way in the movie, and I don't think there is in the the book either. Although maybe there is, and I don't remember. But yeah, it's just something to think about because you're right. It's odd that Milo would bring this up. Like it just seems strange to go there right away, <laughs> and it makes you think like, well, is he just like this laughing stock shit heel guy that the That's town I mean. thinks is a big joke? Yeah, I, I get this feeling that like you know he's made a couple scenes in his life for sure periodically we get these check-ins with ace and the gang Vern's brother billy chris's brother it is strange that two of the characters have brothers that are in this group i know the hoodlums the two that know about the body of ray brower are constantly fighting over spilling the beans right i think the one that is Vern's brother is the one that always wants to to tell yeah well, the, right, because the whole thing is, is like they don't want people to start asking questions as to like what they were doing out there, <laughs> and what were they doing? I out know, there? I I still have my questions. Just making time in right. the middle of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird though because I think Vern's brother is the blonde one. Yeah, and you would think that the other one would be his brother, but yeah, it, they I, don't look like brothers. Yeah, clearly, Gordy and Chris have a connection. They're much more on the same level than Teddy and Vern, who are seemingly nice guys but have their own issues sure (laughs) Vern is a bit of a dunce and Teddy seems unhinged but Gordy and Chris have this connection I think like Teddy and Vern are talking about who would win a fight between Mighty Mouse and Superman and then Gordy and Chris are having a much more existential conversation (laughs) about like am I weird yeah what why do people see me like this (laughs) <laughs> well, Vern definitely talking has... about their fears and hopes oh, yeah. and dreams. <laughs> Which they continue to do for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Vern definitely has that feeling like he is that friend that you couldn't be friends with after fifth grade. He's yeah. growing up at a slower pace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that's much more apparent in the book, too. Not that they don't talk about the separation that occurs in this. I mean, that's obviously the big ending, and it's... It's very emotional, but it goes into a lot more detail about what Vern and Teddy do in that time. Right. When, when things, when the four of them start to separate and become less of friends. And what you're saying is kind of hitting the nail on the head, which is Vern and even Teddy seem to then run with kids that are younger. Yeah. That they yeah. can lord over a little bit because they don't quite fit in with the kids their own age anymore i mean we haven't really touched on it too much i mean and some of it's just like the river phoenix performance a bit but i mean chris chambers just undeniable charisma right i mean he's got like a magnetic personality for yeah a group like this a clear leader yeah it's interesting that the leader of the group is not the main character and we're seeing it instead from someone who's probably the smartest of, of the group and he's experiencing the lives of his friends in that writer's mindset where he's picking up the details and able to to organize his thoughts on where each of his friends were at that point in their lives and right. what they would go on to do and what they could be and what just, you know, in a much more philosophical way. But yes, Chris is definitely the natural leader of the group. And it is a very interesting performance from River Phoenix, probably the most iconic of the four in terms of the the performance that they give in the movie, even as recently as one of these past couple of years when they were doing that thing where 
Adam Levine and Jonah Hill were like talking to each okay. other. I don't even know what that was a commercial for. It was some yeah. device, but they're like watching Stand By Me oh, together. Right. Yeah. It's like <laughs> the part where River Phoenix is crying. Yes. I think it weighs on both of them, especially Gordy, who's narrating it and also kind of reliving this through his memory because of what happens to Chris, that he understands and also maybe Chris as well, that this is the end of something. They know that junior high is around the corner, and they can kind of feel the weight, the shift of something happening here. Yeah, I get it. It's kind of how I felt my whole life all the time. (laughs) Something's coming to an end. Yeah, it's always going to get worse. Right. Yeah, I don't know if they know specifically, like, what the future holds for Vern and Teddy and everything. Yeah. They kind of just sense that they're no longer going to have this freedom of being a kid anymore. They are very self-aware for fifth graders. Yeah, because even Chris is like, well, fuck your dad. I know. It's like, he doesn't know you. It seems shocking to me that Chris would be, like, this invested in Gordy's potential future career as a writer. Well, there's always that goodwill hunting version of a friendship true where I never the dumber like of the that, two right. always just somehow no, instinctually knows that the smarter one could go on to so much more and almost takes it personally if they don't yeah yeah it's definitely the same kind of dynamic that would be done in goodwill hunting as, i agree as it, and it doesn't feel like out of anyone's real life to me now it could have happened i don't know yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, Especially it seems, at this age, though. <laughs> like, it seems hard to believe that they would be able to articulate that, sure. even if it was something that, on an instinctual level, they felt. True. But the twist on it that's different from Goodwill Hunting here is that they're at such a young age, and Gordy sees potential in Chris as well, and is like, he wants him to go the route that he thinks he should go and not be yeah chained to this reputation i just don't even laid out before and i get that i probably had an easier time growing up than chris chambers did Mm -hmm. but i don't think i would have been thinking to myself like heading into junior high that i'd be like i'm never gonna get out of this town man you know yeah that's true i think a lot probably changed over the decades though and and this is certainly a small small town that they're living in out seemingly in the middle of nowhere yeah it doesn't seem so bad to me probably seems a lot harder to make things happen and to make things change and he's his whole life is seeing his dad and his brother just be as the examples criminals yeah i mean his dad is now an abusive alcoholic who never did anything and his brother is going down that same path right and so when you grow up seeing that that's what you believe the world is your mind isn't able to really translate what could potentially happen that's beyond that so unless your dad was like Chris Chambers' dad, then yeah, I would imagine you didn't really think of it the same way. <laughs> well, <laughs> plus, plus you're living in an area where a lot there's a lot more people and a lot more possibilities. True. And then obviously TV, internet, stuff like that shows you the possibilities of what's out there. Plus I think by the time I was in fifth grade, I'd already moved twice. So yeah, I was like, it's unlikely that I'll be here. The four of them come across a bridge, which is essentially just railroad tracks. There's no other room on the bridge beyond that. Yeah. As someone watching a movie, you feel like you know where this scene is oh, headed. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. It's kind of infuriating, though, because the pace with which they go across the bridge. I know. Just go faster. Seriously. From the beginning. <laughs> right. What are you doing? 
And I just, I mean, Vern just starting oh to crawl. I I'm hate like, Vern I know. so much. Yeah. I would have just pushed him Although off I, the bridge. I do get... feel like that would have been me out of the group. Of, I, I would have been the one like down on my knees, like crawling across. Yeah. When he panics and just like falls back down and like won't get back up. That for a is second. crazy. I would be like, you have to leave him for dead. Yeah. I'd be uh, like, all right, well, yeah. I'm out of here. <laughs> See you in hell, fat boy. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, I get that it's a movie and they're building up stakes and it has to make it a close call. But, yeah, I just you hate Vern so much. After I know that you just. Oh, God. OK, so Teddy, Chris, they get across first. Gordy has to basically drag Vern. They run across last second leap off the side where they don't obviously fall the way down below, but they're right. still jumping off. It looks like. It definitely would have hurt, and there probably would have been some broken bones. I do. I agree with that. I feel like before that, to me, even when Gordy gets Vern back up and they start running, I'm thinking there's no way Vern's making this. I just feel like <laughs> the running is like a delicate operation, too, where like one misstep and it's like yeah, all over, and I'm not trusting Vern's coordination. But the thing that just blows my mind is clearly the train conductor would have seen them. Now, I understand. He's like, get the fuck out of the way. They wouldn't be able to stop in time. I mean, we break no for no one. But they don't ever stop. Yeah. There's just n- keeps going. Right. They jump off the side of the bridge. <laughs> just so weird. They're like, yeah. well, whatever. I mean, I know we hit that Ray Brower kid, but. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that night, they set up camp. They're going to stay out in the woods. This seems like it would be scary. Oh, yeah. Eventually, they are well, taking turns standing guard because of some noises in the woods i'd be like freaking myself out being the guard by myself who's just like well yeah we'll get to that i have a lot of thoughts on what what they do i mean it's good crazy but yeah. before they do that gordy who's a potential wannabe writer tells a campfire story the tale of oh, david right. lardass yeah. hogan lardass is a tough nickname to have yeah it was definitely part of that trend which would obviously continue in the sandlot and would be talked about but not actually seen in the goonies where <laughs> right a situation turns into an everyone throwing up bar fest yeah. yeah i mean when you go scene by scene and you actually think about it it's like yeah there's a lot of beats from this movie in the sandlot <laughs> it's like jesus christ nobody thought like hey maybe we shouldn't do the vomit thing too i, I mean, know it's just one too many things yeah. <laughs> but whatever it's fine david is an obese boy constantly teased and he wants to take his revenge on all of his tormentors at a tri-county fair. I will say for somebody who's probably been pushed over the edge, I mean, not the worst revenge that could ever happen. I mean, he's not acting out violently. Yeah. It's an interesting choice to show us this story, which is, of course, fictional. Yes. I mean, obviously the whole movie is fictional, but even in the universe of right. these characters, this is a fictional story. Instead, we actually see it. Which I think is supposed to illustrate the power of Gordy as a storyteller. He captures the imagination of his friends. They actually want to hear him tell these stories. Paints a picture. The great tri-county pie eat. The bullying is so intense that Ugh. it's basically the entire town bullying Lardass. <laughs> I mean, it's just... <laughs> yeah, this town is insane. There's literally geriatrics that are like 80 years old in the audience of this pie eat that are like making fun of him going like boom, ba, boom. <laughs> It kind of reminds me, like, if a, if we tried to do a live show, <laughs> what the audience would be like. <laughs> Lord ass. Lord ass. <laughs> Once the uh, pie eating contest actually begins in earnest, Lardass jumps out to an early lead. 
and it's almost as if the spectators are somewhat getting behind him i mean they're oh, yeah. chanting lard ass which of course is an insult but <laughs> it's almost like they're cheering him and then we find out that oh boy before things got started he drank a whole bottle of castor oil and ate some raw eggs wow and he sets off how disgusting does that sound <laughs> i know how did he hold that vomit in seriously to get to the pies i thought it was weird though that similarly to the way that all of the characters in the sandlot have the same color and texture vomit that everyone in the attendance yes. is throwing up blueberry pies well <laughs> it's for production yeah i think reiner struggled with how to do this in the movie he well didn't... it's kind of like you don't want to make it too goofy well even just the choice to show it to have to actually create a scene and film that but once they did the test screenings for audiences and like people's reactions to this and he oh was yeah like, okay yeah this this stays works. so there's some more pop culture musings among the four they talk oh, about yeah. the mickey mouse club and annette's tits <laughs> <laughs> they talk about what is goofy yeah, true yeah. which definitely seems like a PG-13 version of Tarantino stuff. I agree. <laughs> like, what the fuck is Goofy? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Right. He seems like a dog, but then what is Pluto? <laughs> <laughs> because of the noises, it sounds like some wolves howling or something. I don't really know what kind of animals they have out in Oregon. I would imagine. I would think there'd probably be bears. I don't know. Yeah, seems like it. Seems, seems like there could potentially be me. some scary stuff out there. I would there. think so. They decide that they're each going to take turns standing guard, which, okay, my first thought is, this is 1959, they don't really have cell phones or anything. I, I don't know, how do well, they yeah. determining how long a shift is? <laughs> True. You know what I mean? I would be like, okay, that was long enough, like five minutes in. <laughs> yeah, someone you would just literally have like to wait. someone up. Yeah, just wait for them to fall asleep. Yeah. And then just wake them up be and like, be like, all right, <laughs> yeah. your turn. <laughs> <laughs> would you let Teddy or Vern hold that gun no certainly not Vern. who yeah he seems like he's about to shoot anything <laughs> Vern would shoot himself in the leg teddy would probably shoot you yeah i know uh, neither of them could be trusted gordy has a nightmare where he's reliving denny's funeral and his dad turns to him and says it should have been you <laughs> <laughs> which feels believable based on the yeah, other things it, we've it's seen it's not a nightmare it's a flashback i definitely felt that way I a know. lot of times early on seeing this movie it wasn't till more recently that i put it together like okay well that's probably like a dream because he's asleep and it probably didn't actually happen <laughs> and i think this is probably a bit too far even for this dad i know but like i definitely bought it for a while Well, you know he was, was thinking it he's just not gonna say it <laughs> at some point in the night chris and gordy are both awake <laughs> yeah taking their guard shift together and they have another melodramatic moment together this is kind of crazy to me i i actually do love this story and it's kind of like yeah well this is the scene from the commercial that i was referencing oh yeah so this is about the chambers family name and how chris seems to be doomed to live within the predestined limitations of that name he's frustrated at his inability to escape it oh yeah because he lives up to it but then he wants to be better and yet he's betrayed by people who only see him as this person. Everyone knew I took that money. What is it? Milk money? Yeah. How much money could this have been? I, I don't, don't know. know. I guess it could potentially be a lot if it's like, if people are paying for the milk in advance for like the school year or something. I don't know. Yeah, I do love the twist of this story though. Maybe you could go into the college courses with me. That'll be the day. Why not? You're smart enough. They won't let me. 
What do you mean? It's the way that people think of my family in this town. It's the way they think of me. I'm just one of those low-life chambers kids. That's not true. Oh, it is. No one even asked me if I took the milk money that time. I just got a three-day vacation. Did you take it? Yeah, I took it. You knew I took it. Teddy knew I took it. Everyone knew I took it. Even Vern knew it, I think. Maybe I was sorry and I tried to give it back. You tried to give it back? Maybe. Just maybe. And maybe I took it to old lady Simons and told her, and the money was all there. But I still got a three-day vacation because it never showed up. And maybe the next week, old lady Simons had this brand new sugar on when she came to school. Yeah, yeah, it was brown and had dots on it. Yeah. So let's just say that I stole the milk money, but old lady Simons stole it back from me. Just suppose that I told the story. Me, Chris Chambers, kid brother to Eyeball Chambers. Do you think that anyone would have believed it? Oh. And do you think that that bitch would have dared tried something like that if it had been one of those douchebags from up on The View if they had taken the money? No way. Hell no. But with me? Well, I'm sure she had her eye on that skirt for a long time. Anyway, she saw her chance and she took it. I was the stupid one for even trying to give it back. I just never thought. I never thought the teacher. Oh, give a fuck anyway. So he does actually steal the money. Everyone knows it. But he feels bad about it, and he decides to return it all intact without taking any. That's right. And he's betrayed by the teacher he returns it to, who then spends the money on herself and never reveals <laughs> that it was returned. I love this teacher. <laughs> She's like, as soon as he came up with that money, those wheels started turning. Yeah. Like, why you know, does I anyone need to hear about this? Had my eyes on a skirt. And this is the first time Chris has ever even revealed this. Because he never even said anything at the time because he just knew that people wouldn't take his side. They yeah. wouldn't believe him. But, like, the big conclusion of the moment here, the story, is him, like, breaking down and being like, I didn't think a teacher would do this. Yeah. And it's just like, it is like this moment Gordy's of, Gordy's like, slowly backing away right. as Chris is crying, like, <laughs> yeah. okay. Oh, boy. Yeah. But it is like this moment of a kid kind of having this strange coming-of-age moment where, like, an adult authority figure in his life is doing something almost worse than what he did. Yeah, obviously he's been let down by his parents in life, but there was a certain amount of trust still with other adults that's betrayed. And you could certainly point to at least Teddy, Chris, and Gordy all having been betrayed at various points by the adults in their lives. Right. And how that's such a wake-up call, I think, for kids growing up. Oh, yeah. Because at some point somebody that you trust or you look up to in some way even if it's just by default you know you're just in this person's class it's not like you actually chose this person to look up to but somebody is going to turn on you in some way that 
will seem unbelievable because you never thought that that would be something that could happen. True. And having to learn that life lesson. Yeah, it's a tough one. What do you think about that deer in the morning? I, I'm not. I don't really feel like it it's that much. big of a deal, but I'm wondering if. <laughs> I'm wondering if this was at a time where... I feel like this means more to Gordy than it means to anyone. And the fact that he's like, I didn't tell everybody about that one. That one was just for me. It's like, yeah, we're in the woods. There's deer out here. Well, I'm wondering if at at this time, because animals were more wild, that like it was supposed to be a bigger thing. It just seems like now, because we've expanded out and out and out and taken more and more space for humans that we just are constantly interacting with animals like deers and stuff i mean i saw a bunch of deer when i was walking through the cemetery the other day i didn't stop and be like yeah i'm keeping this one just for me if anything i'd be like oh man it probably has like a tick or some disease seriously (laughs) i mean i guess it's because it's like a baby deer but i don't know i mean a baby deer would probably be more trusting because they don't even know that they should be afraid of it i don't know yeah the deer's not really doing it for me I love Vern's idea of breakfast food, though. He's like Twinkies, Pez, and something else. <laughs> you and Vern have like a similar I know. Diet. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, God, me and Vern are like on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> but Gordy's burn is so fucking great, though, where he's like, well, I guess a more experienced shopper could have got more out of that seven cents. <laughs> <laughs> experienced shopper. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's almost too good of a line. It's like, would he have ever come up with I that? I don't think so. Even if he is a writer? A writer? I don't feel like that a many storyteller. fifth graders are like self-identifying as a writer either. Well, I don't know. I think some probably think? Okay. are starting to jump onto that. I mean, the major thing, though, is that at that age, you sometimes don't realize that that's something that you could actually pursue. But maybe you do enjoy making stories up and you've gotten True. some positive reinforcement for it. But yeah, you haven't put it all together like, oh, maybe this is a career. Right because you don't really think that way at a certain point they're walking along the train tracks and they realize that they could cut through the woods to save themselves some time oh, because yeah. the train tracks for a moment i guess go off the direction they want to go so if they stay on the train well, tracks it's, it's going like to be they more s- of a long way around they stop at a particular spot though it's like this okay here's where we want to go and you're like looking at it and you're like how do you know this is the spot yeah i think you can see the river that he's talking about True. okay or something yeah, right because they want to get over to this certain spot. So Vern doesn't want to do it, but he's outvoted three to one. So they're <laughs> going to cut through the woods to save time. Meanwhile, Billy and Charlie finally spill the beans to Ace and Eyeball, who then turn and tell the rest of the gang. It becomes this idea that they want to go find the body. I guess everyone. I, the motivating factor is that they think that... They're going to be local heroes? Yeah, they're going to get on TV and radio, which... I don't know, maybe it would have appealed to people more during this time. I know I certainly would be like, I, why would you even want that? <laughs> right. It's not like you're going to get money out of this. I don't I, I don't, don't think. think I'd really want to be associated with finding a dead body. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think one time I was at a bar during the day. Oh boy, where is this headed? With a friend of mine. This was like this old shitty bar. It doesn't even exist anymore. Okay. I think it was just a day where I was Teddy's like, dad in there. I was commuting to college or something, and I just... Decided pulled, a yeah, I pulled be- a U-turn and was like, I'm not going. Sent that text out. Meet me at Sparky's spot. <laughs> there you go. We're sitting there, and this news story comes on about a dead body or something. And it just became this joke that we would always say. Like We were always like, we got to find that body. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't even related to Stand By Me. Oh, wow, okay. It was actually related to that joke from Wet Hot American Summer where Michael Ian Black keeps saying, like, 
we gotta find that tape. Oh, and he just right. like never lets it go. Yeah. You know the tape of the the guy that filmed himself masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> just periodically, and be like, we gotta find that tape. <laughs> <laughs> and that was where we were taking it from. But it's funny in the context of Stand by Me too, because it's like all these people hear about this body, and their first reaction is, we gotta go find that body. <laughs> we gotta be first to it. Yeah, if you told us that there was a body somewhere, our first reaction would be like, how do we stay away from that body? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go anywhere near this body. Their plan is to set up this fake fishing expedition. They're going to go out there. That's their cover. So they're heading out now. What do you want to say about the swamp and the leeches? I mean, not much to say other than it's fucking gross. <laughs> I love that they're just like playing around in this disgusting water. Like, Yeah, it's horrifying. Yeah. I mean, Gordy's like, just like on a mission at this point i don't know what what has changed in him that he's kind of like just moving along now he ha- definitely has a more serious demeanor all of a sudden yeah i guess that's his writer's mind putting this into the context of their lives the changing of the times heading towards the junior high but also the connection to his brother's death that's right and coping with death i guess as they're getting closer it. he's getting yeah more it's like it's definitely getting more and more real in the zone even Chris to a certain extent, but certainly Vern and Teddy are still seeing this a little bit as just an ad- like a fun adventure in the woods. They're right. not seeing the seriousness and the, the reality of what's happening. So, a young person was killed, and they're going to find this body. So they get out of this water, and it's like you can already see the leeches. Oh, God. Oh, it's just so gross. They're so big. Ugh. But they, you know, they all start taking their clothes off and like ripping these things off, and it's just like little blood spots. I mean, it seems like they're mostly gonna be okay here. And then it's like the camera pans over to Gordy, and he takes a look down and yeah. just pulls the biggest, most disgusting thing out of his pants, and it's like <laughs> that's like I could cut that right there. He takes the biggest, most disgusting thing out of his pants, <laughs> that's right? And so much blood here. Yeah. I mean, everyone else is just like... Well, little... I mean, it's so much in comparison. I mean, it's not like it's that much blood. I know, but to like every other one who basically has like a speck of blood right. on their chest from pulling it off, I mean... What do you think it was on? I was thinking the shaft. Okay. I See, I I was thinking maybe the balls, Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Who's to say? I guess it's up for speculation, but uh, <laughs> I think why there's so much blood here is it, like they have to have it believable that he would faint. Uh-huh. I mean, it does seem like too much blood to me. I don't know. I've never I, had a leech on me. me thankfully, so you want to test sure it? What that would yeah. be like? <laughs> yeah, you don't really hear a lot about leeches these days. You think they're still around? I don't know. I don't know what areas they're sort of uh, prominent in. I guess disgusting water. <laughs> right. I try not to spend much time in that. Yeah, that's so. Gross. I certainly think I did as a kid a little bit like I, I remember being out in the woods and like going in the swamp and shit to water that deep not often but i think there may have been one or two Oof, times that it's happened gross. in my life yeah i know but never a leech situation it's actually post the leech scene where it seems to ratchet up in seriousness for, for sure because right. then then Vern they're fucking around teddy like, are like fighting yeah, each other horse play and, and he's Gordy's like stop like, it enough yeah <laughs> Shortly thereafter, they're walking along. They get to the place where Back Hollow Road is. They split up on the train tracks to check either side. I think Vern is actually the one that spots the body. There he is! I see him! Look! Look over there! I see him! I see him! None of us could breathe. Somewhere under those bushes was the rest of Ray Brower. 
train had knocked Ray Brower out of his keds, just like it had knocked the life out of his body. Jesus. The kid wasn't sick. The kid wasn't sleeping. The kid was dead. Let's look for some long branches. We'll build them a stretcher. Gordy? Why did you have to die? What's the matter with Gordy? Nothing. Why don't you guys just go over there and look for some branches, okay? We already have the check back in with the trip out with Ace and Gang. Oh, where they, they were playing chicken. Yeah, I, I mean, we don't have to spend a time of time on it, but it is insane that right. Ace runs like a logging truck off the road. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> Ace is just like, I won. I guess this is just further show you what a psychopath he is yeah. in, a, in a very quick way how old do you think ace and the gang are, are they like 17 i mean are, are they in high school still yeah i guess I, I think so but yeah i mean obviously they're just like drinking beers and driving <laughs> down the road <laughs> yeah i mean there definitely were some advantages to growing up in a town this small out in the middle of nowhere it just seemed right. like once you navigated how to get around your parents, I mean, it really was just the Wild West. That's in true. places like this, you just do whatever you want. And it does seem like it. maybe it's all greasers in this town, like the Soches. Like, Denny was, like, the only Soch, and he died. <laughs> I was wondering about this, and this is something maybe more towards the end, but I guess we can bring it up now. I don't really understand how far away are they going to school, where are the other kids coming from. They must be coming from other towns because they're acting as if there's going to be a whole lot of people that they don't know. Yeah. Because Chris at one point is like, you're going to meet a bunch of smart kids like you, and I don't want the rest of us dragging you down or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, well, who are these other kids, and where are they? I, I, How do they not know them? This town seems so small. I just I don't think I knew any kids in fifth grade that had that foresight. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but I'm just saying, I know. who no. are these kids? Where are they coming from? It's gotta this be one town of seems tiny. Yeah, I don't know. There's multiple elementary schools that all roll up into one junior high or something. Does this look, seem like a town that have multiple <laughs> elementary schools? <laughs> I don't know. doesn't seem like there's that many people there. <laughs> there's like five houses. <laughs> that's what I mean. Do they have to like travel far away to go to like the next level of school, and that's these other people they're going to meet? Well, I do think the movie captures it well with the whole what does happen to kids, but I just don't think that like – any kids are, are like expecting that that's what's going to happen as they get older. You know what I mean? Uh, you th you think? I definitely felt some anxiety moving from elementary school to like middle school or junior high. Oh, me too. But I have anxiety about everything. I definitely felt afraid that I wasn't going to be friends with the same people and all that stuff because I think they try to do a lot to try to prepare you for that. Okay. But inadvertently i think they add to your anxiety by constantly talking about how you're gonna meet new people and you need to be True. open to making new friends and all this stuff and i think it just creates this panic i do remember going from like eighth grade into ninth grade like going into high school and like all the girls that i was friends with from 
middle school that I was like, well, we'll see if maybe something develops here. Then getting to ninth grade and like literally it's like the first day of school and they're all dating like seniors. <laughs> You're like, Jesus, how did that happen so quick? Yeah, there's just like a, a welcoming committee. <laughs> yeah, like, what happened all summer? Yeah, what did I miss? <laughs> Once they find the body of Ray, Gordy's reaction differs from the rest of the gang because obviously he has this more intimate understanding of the finality of death, I guess. Okay. Would be why right. he reacts the way he does and the other three are That's still true. kind of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, cool, a dead body. <laughs> Yeah, like Teddy's like jacking off onto it. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but they're not even really given that much of a moment with it. At first they're like, let's build a stretcher for him. And I was like, what the fuck is their plan? I, I know. To carry him all the Which way seems back? seems crazy. 20 miles? Maybe 30? Yeah, I don't know what their plan exactly was. It, it just seemed ridiculous. Right. But yeah, I mean, it is only like two seconds and then Ace and team show yeah, up. Yeah, they got to drive there and it took like five minutes. Right. Inevitably, there's this big standoff. Yeah, which I like at first how it is just Ace and Eyeball. And yeah. I-, I love Teddy's just balls here. Right. It's just like, there's four of us. Make your move. And I think like the two of them could have easily <laughs> taken on those Yeah, four. what's Vern contributing I to know. this? <laughs> but, uh, you know, obviously the rest of the gang shows up pretty quickly. And obviously the numbers and athletic ability are in the favor of Ace and the gang. Mm-hmm. And Ace at one point brings out the switchblade. I mean, he's ready to. Oh yeah, to go that extra mile. I, it seems crazy that they're. I do think they're willing to go this far over a dead body. I know, but I do think Ace is rather calm for a bully. He doesn't necessarily come right at you with the aggression. You know what I mean? He'll, right. He's just kind of like, "All right, you got two options. You can just leave, and we'll take the body, or we can kick your ass, and then we'll take the body." Yeah. And when they're advancing on Chris with the knife after he re- they refuse to relinquish I love the body. Chris calling the bluff here, though, too. He's like, you're going to have to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it just gets so much more badass, though, in a second whenever Gordy fires the gun. Because obviously we have the great line that we use in the opening right. of the show. Yes. But there's also the line of, well, what are you going to do, kill all of us? And he's just like, no, just you. <laughs> no, yeah, just <laughs> Which you, is Ace. just so great. I know. I love it. You guys have two choices. You either leave quietly, we take the body. Or you stay, we beat the shit out of you. We take the body. Besides, me and Billy found him first. Yeah, Vern told us how you found him. Oh, Billy, I wish we never boosted that car. Oh, Billy, I think I just turned my fruit of looms into a fudge factory. That's oh. it, your, your ass is grass. Hold it. Okay, Chambers, you little faggot. This is your last chance. What do you say, kid? Why don't you go home and fuck your mother some more? You're dead. Come on, Chris, it's split. They're not taking him. Come on, man, this is crazy. They're not taking him. He's got a knife, man. Jeez, come on, man. You're gonna have to kill me, Ace. No problem. You're not taking him. Nobody's taking him. 
Come on, kid, just give me the gun before you take your foot off. You ain't got the sack to shoot a woodchuck. Anyways, I'll kill you, I swear to God. Come on, Lachance, give me the gun. You must have at least some of your brother's good sense. Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. What are you gonna do, shoot us all? No ways, just you. The thing that differs in the novella is that Gordy says that line, suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood, without even having the gun. He doesn't even have the gun yet. Oh, wow. And it's Chris that pulls the gun out oh, that and saves weird. Gordy at the last minute. Yeah. It presents almost like a different way of processing that moment because on the one hand, Chris gets to be the hero with the gun, but on the other hand... Gordy's almost more of a badass for just saying that with not oh, even know. thinking that there was going to be a way out of it. Right. Just being like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, Ace and the, the older boys back down, though. Yeah. And They're just like, this isn't over, but it's over for now. Our four heroes place an anonymous phone call to report Ray Brower. That's right. They're like, that fucking stretcher idea is not going to work. Yeah. Well, it's up to Gordy to make that decision to be like, no. We're not taking him either. We're going to just call it in. Just call it in. Because he realizes that it's not about some empty five seconds of fame for being the ones to find him. That So these parents know where their idiot kid is. <laughs> yeah. Somehow couldn't avoid a train. Yeah, it's much more about closure for Ray Brower and his family because Gordy can obviously see it in a more mature way because of what he's gone through with his brother. Yes. And trying to profit in some way off of that seems cheap and pathetic. And that the journey they made was much more about learning about themselves. That's right. <laughs> so they walk back to Castle Rock all through the night. They make it back, I guess, sometime on Sunday. Yes. I do love that they're just like, we're just going to walk all the way straight back through. Yeah. We can't camp another night. <laughs> Walking through the woods in the dark, though, that almost seems like its own movie. I know. I wonder how they got across that bridge this time yeah i know i would be scared to go especially back if they got there it. at night it would be real wild right as they're walking back into town Vern and teddy are the first two to peel off we, uh, richard dreyfus comes back on with some yes. more narration updating us on everything until it's finally just chris teddy and went on Gordy. to do odd jobs around castle rock yeah that's well, something that you don't hear about anymore people just kind of doing odd jobs right it's yeah. like now that you work for the temp agency yeah, I want to circle back to this. I will say his fate in the movie is certainly better than in the book, but we'll we'll get back to that in a minute because I want to f wrap it up on Chris first. So they're the last two, Chris and Gordy. They almost just walk to like their treehouse. They're just standing there. Right. Overlooking the town. Yeah, and they have this emotional farewell. The scene is amazing. I love it. Give me some skin. <laughs> I think... They both helped each other in a way that is almost immeasurable because Gordy needed that reassurance that what he was doing yeah. was okay. Like, you can do this. You can be a writer. Fuck your parents. Your parents don't know what's going on with you. It's like, again, with the existential melodrama between these two. Yeah. They're just friends on a whole other level. And, of course, Gordy is the one to push 
Chris to outlive right. his yeah. family's reputation and expectations. And never gonna get out of this town, am I, man? You're not gonna take the fucking shop classes and like the basically like the technical school yep. shit. You're gonna go into the college stuff and you're gonna go on to something bigger and better. You can do anything you want, man. And so the update is that Chris did take those classes and even though they were tough he managed to fight through it and that he went on to go to college and he became a lawyer and you're like holy shit that's awesome all only to be stabbed <laughs> in line at a fast food restaurant right in the throat <laughs> it's such a brutal fucking death too where you're yeah just like, jesus and because it is like wow this was like this great tale of like this kid who really came from the wrong side of the tracks as they say and made his way out and really had to like fight and claw his way out of the dregs of society and he made it and he's a lawyer and then it's just like two fucking dopes getting a fight in a fast food restaurant and stab him in the throat the great iconic line is not even spoken out loud it's well, just typed once we learn that Gordon now as an adult has gotten out of his truck that was pulled into a field and he's actually back at his house now and he's finishing writing the story on a computer yeah man I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12 Jesus does anyone that's the end of his little story yeah and I mean this whole that whole save it though seems like he just turns his computer off I didn't really get the sense he was saving it yeah yeah he was like this I can't publish publish it this trash but yeah, I mean, this whole sequence from after they leave Teddy and get to this point where they're overlooking town and have this conversation about their futures and the Richard Dreyfus narration, I, I love it all. Again, I-, I said at the beginning of the show, nothing I don't think pulls at my heartstrings like this scene does. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I- 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 this will always be like my go-to. <laughs> like when I need a reference for something sad, it's going to be the end of Stand By Me. Yeah. It definitely to me feels like the perfect coming of age story but yeah i mean there's certainly some moments that stretch credibility as far as what you're saying about how thoughtful and introspective these kids are at (laughs) this age but i love it though i wish i was these kids it's almost like the scene from once upon a time in hollywood that's so controversial with bruce lee and how we're seeing it through brad pitt's character cliff booth's recollection and how he could potentially be an unreliable narrator remembering this story you think this isn't quite how it went down well this he, he may 40s. be projecting right. a little bit onto how they acted at the time and thinking certainly that chris and gordy were influences on each other's lives but he may be remembering it more clearly and precise than it actually sure took and place. obviously their friendship carried on it is strange that it seemed like gordy had such a big influence on chris's future and the fact that he was able to like sort of make it yet they didn't really maintain a a tight-knit friendship in their adult lives why because he says he hadn't spoken to him in 10 years yeah that seems like a long time i get that i know i mean they're pretty young though i mean how many people do i still talk to from when i was in fifth grade i get it but but that's what i mean though it's not just fifth grade they kind of yeah well this importance that carried on you have to remember that. that it was harder to maintain friendships once people moved away that's true there was no Facebook or right. internet or anything. Long distant phone calls. Anytime you had a change in your life, whether your phone number changed, whether you moved, whatever. I mean, you constantly have to go back and update everybody a lot. It just What do you think it's of so much easier to lose touch? That's true. What do you think of Richard Dreyfus's success as a writer? By well, Richard Dreyfus, I, think I mean Gordy the character. One of the questions that Rob Reiner had about the Gordon character and trying to figure out how to present him on screen was like, Who is he? 
what writer question. is he? Who is this person? And he basically just made him what he thought Stephen King was. Like, he becomes gotcha. Stephen King. Yeah, he seems pretty successful. Yeah, and of course they have, like, his son and his son's friend. They want to go to the pool. And they're around the same age that, of course, Gordon was at the time. And then Benny King comes up over the That's soundtrack. That's right. I, I, yeah. bawling at right. that point. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and once you see it, once you've lived it, you've lived this life with this being how this movie is, you couldn't imagine it being called anything else and couldn't imagine it ending with any other song. You're like, yes, this is exactly what it always needed to be. Oh, right. It's crazy that this is taken from something called The Body and, you know, up until, I don't know, six months before they released it, they were thinking it was still called The Body, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Yeah. This came out in late August of 1986, meaning it's, what, 33 years old now? Yes. And, yeah, it's lived with us ever since. So in the end of the novella, everything is with Chris is essentially the same. The idea is still the same. He's like this older guy reflecting on this time. But in the updates that he gives for Vern and Teddy, you learn that both of them died too. Okay. But yeah. further back. I was thinking maybe Teddy got real into the 60s and no one ever heard from him again. <laughs> I think Vern died in a house fire or like a fire in like a shitty apartment in like New York City or something and wow like at a party somebody fell asleep with like a cigarette or something I don't know something good like lord that. and Teddy lived a little longer into like the 70s but ended up dying in like a car accident where other people died too oh and boy it talks about how if you were the only one that died in your car accident you died a hero but if you took other people out with you you were remembered as like I don't know, some piss head or something. And that's what Teddy became because somebody else died too. And just was like, you know, people driving fucked up or whatever. And then it builds to the thing with Chris. And so it's almost this sad reflection of like all of these people are dead now, even though he hadn't been friends with Vern and and Teddy for so long by that point. True. But Ace of all people was still alive. And he talked about, he gave like this bizarre update of Ace, how he just kind of became like this fat, a game show host, loser, okay. who had like a Reagan Bush sticker on his truck and wow. was almost unrecognizable because he was just like this fat middle-aged dork, <laughs> and just wasn't anything like this dude that he was before. And when he saw him, he could tell that like there was no recognition in Ace's face. And when they were still kids, Ace beats the shit out of him later after this whole thing with oh the gotcha body. yeah so there's like that tacked onto it too it's like he couldn't escape forever from not allowing ace and the the bullies to get the body he, like That's he right. had to pay for it down the line <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think the way they did it in the movies actually preferable in a lot of ways it's much more concise and well to the something point. about teddy that is sad to me for the Teddy character, but also sort of sad to me in life when this happens. People that live their whole life like wanting to get into the military and can't. Yeah. And like the thing with him is like, obviously he has like bad vision or whatever, but the one of the things that holds him back is his ear that's like <laughs> burnt and damaged yeah. or whatever that his dad did that to him. And it's like he's idolized his dad, his dad and he just wants to get into the military and he just like can't get in. And it's like when you're putting all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Paul Dano character from Little Miss Sunshine. Right. <laughs> it's just a sad thing. Yeah, so I guess that'll do it for Stand By Me. It's a little Labor Day treat. <laughs> little morose Labor Day. We knew that we would 
get to this on a Labor Day at some point. This is the exact hey, listen, right time to do it. Summer End ending summer. is always kind of like a sad moment in my life. Not yeah. as much as it used to be, but yeah, you still, still a little feel bit, it. Little I twinge. Think no matter how yeah. old you get, you still kind of feel it. Right. Especially since winter sucks so bad, and you're just like, oh god, here we go. Oh We're yeah, close. Yep. <laughs> Okay, so let's do recommendations for this week. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. I will do mine first, I guess, since you went first last time. Sounds good. Or I'll do one, and then you can do one. My first is the new Dave Chappelle stand-up special on netflix called sticks and stones making a ton of news the most controversial comedy special probably and ever okay just insane how funny it is but right. also of course it's super offensive <laughs> oh good people are just losing their minds <laughs> in this terrible pc woke culture that just dave of course won't play by those rules at all and they just can't stand it and I think I've realized that over time. It's not even that these people are so politically correct and they care so much about trans people or or the LGBTQ community in general or different races or, or whatever. It's, yep. that, it's not even that they're, they're so empathetic and such great people. It's just that this overly woke media is just concerned. Overly with, woke. They want to be in charge. It's they want to make book. the rules and they hate it. They hate it so much that there's people that just won't follow their rules, and they get so mad. And the fact that Dave's last two stand-up specials that he released at the same time touched on some of these same subjects, and then people like freaked out about it. And the fact that he just doubles down on this new one. <laughs> I love it. Just makes them so crazy <laughs> because he's not playing by these rules. They're not. They're, they don't really hold as much power as they think they do, and that just drives them completely nuts. Which is the same reason they freaked out about Green Book winning because they thought that they should have the power to influence it. And it's just pathetic. Um, and if you get that bent out of shape about a fucking comedy special, it's just, <laughs> right. oh my God. Seriously. There's bigger fish. Yeah. And it's super funny. I mean, I just enjoyed Good. it. I'll have and to check it out. Dave is just great. He's just like one of the few people out there unwilling to bend to the pressures of today. Yeah. Like he, he makes I fun commend of him. cancel culture. He even does this whole insane bit about the 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 two new Michael Jackson accusers and that whole thing. Okay, wow. Which I is just unbelievable that. that he's saying this stuff. It's so <laughs> funny. And we need more of that. We need more people like him who are going to fight against it because it's a losing battle, I mean, right now. Well, we'll see. I still think it's going to spin the other way at it some will, point. It yeah. will, but like right now right. We're, we're losing the battle of being Good. able to enjoy Love whatever Love Chappelle, for sure. Longtime fan. I'll have to check it out. Oh, and there is a, a – the only way you can access this is to let it play all the way till the end, and then it'll go into this special – it's almost like a secret hidden track. It'll oh, wow. go into this 25-minute epilogue. Okay. So the only way to do it is to play it, and then it'll get to it at the very end of everything. And then the epilogue is great, too. It's more stuff where – it's more like storytelling. There's some Q&A with the audience and stuff like that. He tells a story about – Barack Obama, he tells a story about some trans woman that was at his show, which is actually kind of t- a touching story. And I think it's almost disappointing that that isn't in the special itself because I think it would definitely shed a light on how some people view him versus how, like, this, like I said, overly sensitive, ridiculous media portrays oh, yeah. it. But okay, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. I-, I don't have much this week. I do have two things, but. <laughs> 
I have not watched anything except for Stand By Me since the last time we recorded. So I was thinking about it this morning, what I could do for this. And uh, as we talk about how sad the end of this movie is and how much it touches me, <laughs> I had a YouTube video, actually. Mm-hmm. And it is 50 heartbreaking movie moments, supercut. Oh, God. Yeah. It has the Stand By Me scene in it. Mm-hmm. The music is from the Danny Boyle movie, Sunshine, which is kind of interesting. But mm-hmm. if you need something to tug at the heartstrings a little bit, if sometimes, I don't know if other people experience this, but I just need to feel sad. <laughs> and this this really does it for me. So that's one. Go ahead with your second one. My second would be Glow Season 3 on Netflix. Did you not already do this one? I don't think so. Okay. I checked. All right, good. <laughs> the, I think I talked to you about oh, it. Oh, maybe that's what it was. I don't think yeah. I've officially right, okay, recommended yeah. it on the show. It's pretty good. It's just a very consistent show. I mean, it's never perfect, but there's a lot of good moments. And I would say that the quality from season one to two to three is very much the same. Okay. And I'm interested to see if they'll take it further with a season four. I Obviously, don't have the we highest did hopes that that'll happen. An episode for season two, so. Yes. If so it, I enjoyed it. Yeah, good. I'll have to check it out. Some good nudity, too, if you're interested in that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Obviously, I'm a pretty big Allison Brie fan. Yeah. And second recommendation for me was just something else that I thought about as another movie that reminds me of sort of the end of summer, has kind of another like little feel-good vibe for me. It's, I think, a 2013 movie, The Way, Way Back. Mm-hmm. Going to be a hot summer. Yes. I just think it's kind of a maybe a quasi-underrated movie or just doesn't have a lot of fanfare, but I really enjoy it. Yeah, it was certainly really well-reviewed. It was a small movie. I'm sure a lot of people haven't seen it. I saw it in the theater, and then I own it on Blu-ray. Yeah, me too. Don't know that it's streaming on anything right now, but would recommend picking up the Blu-ray or giving it a watch. Yeah, I'm sure you can rent it from somewhere. Steve Carell kind of uncharacteristically playing a just a douchebag dick in it. Yeah. Steve Carell's in it. But Tony, Tony Collette. Collette, who we love. Yeah. Sam Rockwell. Yep. Kind of an annoying kid in it, but <laughs> he fits the part. Anna Sophia Robb. That's right. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's definitely one that we could potentially do at some point on this show yeah it definitely is another one of those little bit of coming of age thing kind of has that bittersweet vibe to it but it, it, i it's one of those movies that it takes place over the summer it kind of leads up to the end of summer kind of has a similar type uh, feel for me or or at least reminds me of summer ending okay all right so that'll do it uh reminder as always follow us on twitter at greatest pod make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and all that stuff. And make sure you're spreading the word and getting uh, your friends interested in the show as well. Oh, that's right. It'll always be nice. So anyway, thanks for listening. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see Just as long as you stand, stand by me. So darling, darling, stand by me. Oh, stand by me. Oh, stand. Stand by me. Stand by me. If the sky that we look upon tumble and fall or the mountain
over to gordy and he takes a look down and yeah. just pulls the biggest most disgusting thing out of his pants 